Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When I think of this story in our Sunday school lesson, I can't help but think of this verse. God is able to exceed our expectations. And to the praise of his glory, I'll give you one little personal experience. I'm not a wonder worker. I don't consider myself a great man of faith. I, I'm very ordinary. About probably about 15 years ago, this, this happened to me. So back up, when I was about 17, I was at a cattle sale and I walked up to my dad because I saw that in this catalog there's a certain cow that we need to buy. And as I got close to where he was sitting, I turned and was sitting down. My kneecap, my left knee, popped out and was out over here. And it hurt. And nobody knew what to do. And there I was in pain and taken to one doctor, which gave me a shot that made me not care what happened. And they sent me on to another doctor who gently put it back in place. So that was a recurring thing for years. Um, my, my kneecap would pop out of place. And it, it was a painful experience. So probably about 15 years ago, I was working at a summer job. I was roofing a uh, mini barn. I was the only one at the shop. I was up on a scaffolding about this high. And um, the phone rang. I needed to get the phone. I jumped down onto the concrete, and as I hit, my kneecap popped out of place. I fell onto the concrete, and by this time I knew that if I just take my other foot behind that foot and straighten it out, it'll go back in place. So I did that, and the, the office was right there. I missed the phone call. And I sat, sat down in this chair, and it was pain. I'm sure I was probably white in my face. And it's a type of pain that you see stars in. I, I, I remember the prayer. I said, oh, God, ease this pain. And I'll tell you what, I don't remember being. It was, it was kind of just one of those prayers. I don't remember any special faith or anything. Nothing at all. Anything special. And it was as though, you know, there I was in pain. And it was as though there was my pain was on a dimmer switch. And it went about this fast. And the pain was gone. I sat there shocked. And I didn't want to move because I was scared I might feel pain again if I moved. And I didn't want to spoil that moment. But slowly I did. And the pain was gone. I could feel something happened. Just a little touch of it there. But the pain was totally gone like that. I give you that story echoing what Brother Daniel said about 
God is bigger than our prayers. I, I would say both in the in our expectations. Um, you know, it never happened before. And I don't think I really expected the pain to go away. I, but, but still, it was just the cry of my heart. I, I was in pain and I needed some relief. Um, so I give that story to you just as an encouragement. That was a faith builder in my life. And certainly I think this was a faith building experience in the lives of these people in the early church. Learning by testing. Because I was, school, I was a school teacher for so long, it still seems like that's what I am, even though I'm not doing it now. My, um, I still kind of think that way. So imagine yourself, Johnny. You studied your spelling words, and you typically knew them quite well. Your weekly test was coming up. You knew your word list well. And you uh, were you were ready. You were prepared. You usually got 100. It helps, you know, if you get to have a little extra break or something, if you do get 100 on your spelling test. But then the teacher called out a word. Rhapsody. You raised your hand. What was that word? Rhapsody. But it wasn't on the test. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't on my word list. The teacher kind of shrugs and, well, that's your word. But that's not fair. I mean, all the words that I have to spell are usually on the test. Well, maybe this one wasn't. You didn't, you didn't have time to prepare for it. And so you're, 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 you're left in this quandary because normally you have time to prepare, you have time to learn, and then you are tested. Not so necessarily in life. I said not so necessarily. I think that often we are, but we, we, we may not connect the test that we are given to what we have studied. And we're not necessarily expecting the test to look like it is. <clears throat> Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. We learn through our testing. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, and that word tempt could also be test, and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he, God said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, 
whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, which was about 42 miles, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto his father, unto Abraham his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham, <coughs> excuse me, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold a ram, and, and, and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. It would be interesting to read this story as though we never heard it before. We know this story, we've heard this story, we know what happened. It is a very intriguing story. What were Abraham's thoughts? What, what do you think were Abraham's thoughts when he heard God? After the struggle that Abraham had been through for years, having God having promised him a seed by Sarah his wife, that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, 
God having promised that. And it seemed like it just didn't come. This Abraham's uh, Isaac just didn't come and didn't come. And years went on by and they got to the place where it was humanly impossible, it seemed, for Sarah to have this son, this promised seed. God, it doesn't make sense. I also wonder what Sarah thought. In fact, I really wonder if Sarah even knew about this. What would you do? I, I, I wonder if your close to a hundred year old husband would be taking, would be doing something like this if you wonder if his age hasn't caught up with him. You may wonder about his hearing these voices that others aren't hearing. Might be why Abraham got up early in the morning. He maybe had to sneak out. I don't know. Was Abraham prepared for this test? And I'm not sure why God really tested him. It, it may, there's a, there's a thought in here. If you notice that it, it may be that finally, after God, after Abraham had been seeking God for so long, and God, God had seemed to, you know, he finally gave him the object of the promise. It could be that Abraham, Abraham's love and Abraham's focus was, had perhaps turned from God to his son. I, I, I'm not blaming Abraham for this by any means, but it is interesting in verse two, when God is first talking to him, he says, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. After it is over, in verse 12, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And again, in 16, when he's, the angel of the Lord is speaking to him again, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. That phrase, whom thou lovest, is not there. It could be that that was the, the real test. We like to know why. We like to know how this all works out. We have to leave some of those things with God. He doesn't. It was certainly given for our example that we can know. <clears throat> there was there was a strong element of faith in Abraham. A strong element of faith. He says in verse 5, when he tells the... The two servants, y'all stay here with the donkeys. The lad and I are going to worship and come again to you. He indicated, if you go by sentence structure, that we're coming back. And God had told him to offer Isaac. But he seemed to understand, as he seemed to understand through by faith, God will work something out. And I'm not sure how Abraham must have trembled as they were walking along soon after they left 
the two servants. And Isaac spoke to him. Now we don't know how old Isaac was. We, we don't know. But we do know that Abraham was old. And Isaac was old enough to carry a bundle of wood. I would certainly assume that Isaac was, you know, I, I think of him as, a, a, as about a 17-year-old son. I don't really, I don't, I can't point to scripture and say this is, this is how old he was, but that's in my mind basically what I picture. And just imagine how Abraham must have trembled within. When Isaac said, my father, yes, son, here's the fire and the wood, but what are you going to offer? I can't imagine Abraham looking at him, looking at him in his eyes. I, I can imagine only kind of a distant gaze in hope, in faith. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Imagine the I, I, I can imagine the tremble in his voice. This was, this was a test. And I'm not sure. We don't know how it actually transpired after the altar was built. I somehow don't think that a close to 100-year-old Abraham suddenly lunged on his son and tackled him and tied him up and swung him up on the altar. I, I, I would think that Isaac could have outrun him, that Isaac could have resisted. Again, I, I don't know the Bible doesn't say. My imagination plays in here somewhat. I can't help but believe that somehow Abraham pulled himself together and said, My son Isaac, this is what God has asked me to do. I don't see through it, but it's going to work out okay. Trust me, because I trust God. And I think that Isaac must have willingly given himself, maybe climbed up on the altar himself, and Abraham bound him there. I'm not sure if Isaac watched him with the knife or if he turned his head away. I, we don't know. But this was a, this was a moment of high suspense. And this was a moment of when doubt could have, you know, this is, we're at the, we're at the last. I mean, this is 12 o'clock. This is, it, it's about to happen. If anything's going to happen, if God is going to intervene, it's going to be now. And Abraham moved on in faith stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He did it. He offered his son. In his heart and in his mind, he offered his son. We know the, the happy ending to the story. 
Hebrews chapter 11 refers back to this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. We see there a little insight into the thought of Isaac. He relied on God totally. It did not make human sense any longer. There are three tests that Abraham passed. And he probably learned through them. One was his obedience test. He passed the obedience test. He did what God asked him. One of the things that probably were key in his being able to do so was that he had heard the voice of God before. Years before, he had heard the voice of God and God told him, get up out of the land that you were brought up in, leave your family, leave your mother, leave, go. I'm going to take you to a new place. And he up and left, not knowing where he was going to go. Again, Sarah followed him. How would you like that? Honey, we got to go. God's telling me that we have to move. Let's pack up and go. Where are we going? I'm not sure. It's going to be revealed as we go. We got to get going. And in other experiences, Abraham heard the voice of God. So he knew it. And he learned to trust it. Reminds me of Jesus' words in John. My sheep, hear my voice. He knows his sheep. His sheep know him. Another test that Abraham passed was the love test. He loved, he proved that he loved God above the gift that God had given to him. He loved the giver rather than the gift. And he passed the faith test. By faith, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. Abraham passed these tests. I don't wonder how he felt when he was going back down the mountain. I can imagine that his step was so much lighter. I can imagine that his faith was stronger. And I can imagine that he loved God. He trusted God more. And I believe that his love for his son did not diminish a bit. He looked at him as this is a gift from God given to me the second time. He marveled at the, at the majesty of God. He marveled at the work of God. With a light step, he returned home. He probably felt 20 years younger than he did when he was going up the mountain. Several other examples in the Bible. 
Job. We don't really know that he had time to study for his tests. But you know how that a servant came and told him, all your sheep and oxen are gone. Another servant came, more things were gone. Another servant came and said, wind blew the house down on all your children. And he got to the point that he lost everything. He was sick. He was miserable, scraping himself, scratching himself with a piece of broken pottery. The only thing that was left was a discouraging wife. He came through and three friends that really did not seem like they knew how to comfort at all. They came in judgment. Through that experience, through that severe testing, Job learned. Job thought he was righteous before. But after it was all over, and you know, the Bible even calls him a just man. He was a righteous and a just man. And after that, he recognized God's sovereign power and God's righteousness far above his own. In Peter's denial of Jesus, what did he learn? Thrice he denied him. Later, Jesus restored him. And if you notice, after Jesus' resurrection, he specifically said, go, go tell my disciples and Peter. I believe that Jesus is actually recognizing that Peter had separated himself. And he made a specific point. Go tell my disciples and Peter what you've seen. Tell them that I'm alive. And then Jesus spoke to him personally and restored him. Peter learned through that failure, though he thought he was humanly strong, how really weak he was. Now I back up to what I said at the beginning. Does God prepare us for the testings? I think He does. There's no temptation taking you. There's no testing taking you. But such as is common to men, God is faithful who will with the temptation also make a way of escape. Look in Peter's life. It seems like Peter could have known if he would have thought back, oh yes, I walked on water. As my eyes were on Jesus, I walked on water. When I looked around and I got scared, I sank. God did prepare him. I'm not sure we don't read about Job's life before. We think of the children of Israel. When they were up against situations, different situations, you know, there was just many situations in the children of Israel's experience. But here when mountains were on one side and the sea in front of them, the Philistines, the Egyptians behind them, um, it looked like they were doomed. But God had already 
shown them this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night. They were in the hands of God. It was, it was obvious. God opened up the water and they walked right on through. David met Goliath. That wasn't the first thing that he met. He met a bear. He met a lion. This is like on-the-job training. But those were experiences that he had that I believe probably did, in fact, prepare him. He referenced those experiences when he was talking to King Saul about his going out and fighting the giant Goliath. You've been tested. And I'm, this is a, this is a current situation. And we've been, we've been tested probably in varying degrees, depending where we've come from. We've been, you know, the, all the circumstances surrounding COVID-19. And we look at that maybe differently than we did four or five months ago um, because of the things that you've learned through it. But you've been tested. And in some of, some of you, you probably have faced even bigger tests than COVID-19. As a church, we've faced, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm speaking from our experience in Virginia Beach, and we're people just like you. Um, the, the sickness is the same there as it is here. The government procedures, let's call them that, were very similar there as they were and are here. And we've been tested. Our congregation itself, we have been tested as to one thing, our civil obedience. You know, this thing, not only, of course, what's in focus here, but there are some other things that it also brought into focus. How about seatbelt laws? What's our, what's our obedience there? It has been reported that since folks are lax in seatbelt laws, folks are lax in hunting laws, folks are lax in, in upholding other civil laws, that when this comes along, and we're trying to make sense out of it in the church as it relates to the church. It looks like just another lax um, mentality in toward the obedience of civil authorities. What do we do with it? We've been tested and we've been given opportunities to learn something. I, I just ask, I'm just throwing this out. What have we learned through it? What have you learned individually through this experience? Some of you undoubtedly have battled with fear. Fear of the virus. Others of you probably have battled with attitudes. Attitudes towards brothers and sisters in the church 
who had a opposing view than yours. Attitudes towards people who didn't understand, who, yeah, just did not understand it. As though we, of course, do. Attitudes towards government. Democrat or Republican. Our love for each other has been tested. To me, it seems like what happened in Virginia Beach in our church. We were hit, you know, we were, we thought we were together, but we were hit by this, uh, by this coronavirus and not the sickness itself, but everything surrounding it. We were hit and it just kind of sprawled us all out into, and we all kind of had to figure out our own way wherever we were. And some people found themselves over here. Some people found themselves over here. Here and there and everywhere. Um, how did we communicate with each other? How did, how did we, how do we get ourselves back up and crawl back together again? Did we learn anything? Our love for each other has been tested. Our trust in each other has undoubtedly been tested. It soon becomes obvious as to who's reading what. If you get your information from here, then of course that makes sense that you think the way you think, but you're reading something else. And so that's why you think the way you think. Our trust in each other has been tested. Perhaps our own integrity has been tested. You know, yeast, with the little store that we have, yeast suddenly was nowhere to be found. And I think we probably could have doubled the price on our yeast that we had, and people would have still bought it up. Our integrity. Was it right for... It would not have been right for me to do so. Because there's suddenly a high demand for something, and you have it, um, pets, little baby dogs. The price in our area went sky high on pets. Well, is it right to take advantage of such a situation? We've been tested. Our integrity has been tested. Our patience has been tested. I thought that we would not have services on a temporary basis. And after about two or three weeks, my temporary was run out. And so we started a um, car church. In fact, I told Daniel or somebody that this was actually the first time in the last, I'm not sure since it started, that I preached behind a pulpit in a normal church service. We're, we're still not, uh, the, the mandates are stiffer where we are. The general public opinion around us is different from what yours is as well. So we're still meeting in our gym, spaced apart as families. Um, so yeah, this is the first opportunity that I've had to preach in a normal church setting for the last six months or so. Our patience has been tested. Look, this, this can't go on, and how much longer is it going to go on? I believe that our obedience, we, we, we've had to think through our obedience to scriptures, whereas it says honor the king. 
And it also says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It also talks about close fellowship, the principles of close fellowship. It talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. We've had to think, we've had to learn, we've had to dig. And we've had to, we have to also learn to think together. I find it very interesting in that example in Acts where there was a dispute that rose as to, it it was basically pertaining to the how much of the law still needed to be kept? Does anything, does the law still need to be kept or not? And they gathered together in Antioch. The Bible says they came together for to consider. The, a, a typical way when a question arises would be for us to say, give me a week. Let me think about it. Let me if we get really spiritual, let me fast and pray about this and I'll get back to you in a week or maybe longer. I'm, 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 I'm suggesting getting together for to consider might be the better route. We think together far more balanced than we think individually. Did we learn that? I hope we are. I hope our congregation at home is, and I think that you're like we are. Do we know how to stand in solidarity? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul here is writing. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. The Amplified Version talks about that you stand together shoulder to shoulder, facing the same direction, that you're fighting together. Uh, Different translations, fighting shoulder to shoulder, laboring together, with one mind striving together, stand fast in one spirit, with one soul striving for the faith of the gospel. I've heard, I don't think it's true, but the point is is well made. A big difference in horses and mules is that when there, if there's a group of mules or a group of horses and danger comes, the horses put their heads together and kick out at the enemy. Mules, on the other hand, face the enemy and kick at each other. I, I don't think it's true. I, I, I've never owned a mule. Nonetheless, that can happen. We can have a common enemy, and instead of getting together and looking, how can we together, how can we stand together and face this, we lose focus and we start looking at the inconsistencies in our brothers and sisters. And we have a tendency of starting to fight with each other because of the pressure that we're under. Were we prepared for this testing? I'm no prophet of doom, but I believe that this testing has something for us to learn. It has multiple things for us to learn through this testing Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
There are important lessons in the story of Abraham. There's also some symbolic lessons on a greater scale for all the world. God was giving a foretaste of providing a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the whole world. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus also carried the wood for his sacrifice. Isaac seems to me he voluntarily submitted to the altar. Jesus also laid down his life for the sheep. I close with 1 Peter 1. Verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls." The trial of your faith. We've had trials. This has been one. You've faced others. You've faced some individually. You've faced some as a congregation. Let's not fail that test. May this testing not be wasted on us, but let's learn something through it. Let's learn how to stand together when and if another big test comes our way. May our faith increase. May our love for each other grow. May our obedience to God be refined. Let's kneel in prayer.